Good morning. Good morning. Thank you all for being here. Um, Galen Roshi is delivering the keynote address at an international Zen gathering in Hawaii. Um, but this Dharma talk and my practice wouldn't be possible without her guidance and her support. So I want to thank my teacher as well. And I think Hawaii is roughly that way. So I'm going <laughs> to bow in that direction. Um, I have four stories that I want to share with you all today. And they're stories that have been told for thousands of years. They date all the way back to the time of Shakyamuni Buddha in India about 2,500 years ago. So stories from the early days of Buddhism, they're wonderful, but they have a, a different flavor from the Zen stories that we hear because they come from a time before Buddhism spread from India to China and Japan and before the development of Zen. They also come from a time when stories were passed down orally from generation to generation, long before they were ever written down. And so it's entirely possible that they got a little bit embellished every time, uh, a little bit more every time they were told. So these stories from the early days of Buddhism tend to be kind of wild. And they're wild in the sense that they are wildly imaginative. And they're also wild in the sense that they come from a time when there were just a lot fewer human beings on this planet and a lot more wild animals. And the human beings and the wild animals crossed paths uh, pretty regularly. And so there are a lot of wild animals in these stories. And today I wanna to talk about one of those animals in particular. So I've got four stories and what they have in common is that they all involve elephants. <laughs> so elephant story number one is a story that Gail shared in her Dharma talk. Um, I think it was three weeks ago now, and it got me thinking. So this story takes place shortly before the birth of Shakyamuni Buddha. So I don't know if that makes it the first Buddhist story or, or not, but uh, so it's before the birth of Shakyamuni Buddha. And one night, a dream comes to the Buddha's mother, Queen Maya. And the story goes that Queen Maya saw a young elephant descending from the sky in her dream. It had six great tusks. It was as white as the snow on the mountaintops and Maya saw it enter her womb. When Queen Maya wakes up, she and the king summon some wise men who interpret dreams. Queen Maya tells them about the elephant entering her womb in her dream, and they tell her she's going to have a son, and that the son could take different paths in his life. They tell her he might be a king, or on the other hand, if one day he should renounce royalty, leave the palace, cast love aside, and seized with compassion for the world's, he should live the wandering life of a monk. He will deserve marvelous praise. He will be adored by the worlds. Your son will be a Buddha. So after I heard the story, I kept wondering, so why is it an elephant that prophecies the arrival of the Buddha and not some other animal. 
I mean, elephants are, they're pretty great. Um, they're intelligent. <laughs> they have these complex social structures. They're known for their amazing memories. But I still kind of wondered, you know, why is it an elephant? So I found out that part of the answer is that in India at that time, elephants had associations that they don't necessarily have for us today. Elephants were strongly associated with royalty because they were typically owned by kings. So there were no zoos, obviously. And um, an adult elephant needs about 350 pounds of food every day. So not just anyone can own an elephant. Elephants were also associated with power because they were used by the world's major militaries. So for thousands of years, elephants were essentially used as living tanks during times of war. And the Indian army had an elite elephant corps. So elephants were associated with nobility and strength. And that's probably part of why the elephant became a symbol of the Buddha. But the elephant isn't just a symbol of the Buddha in a casual way. So in the story about Queen Maya's dream, for example, the connection is really direct. An elephant enters Maya's womb and the Buddha is born. So it seems to me like the story is maybe saying that in some way, the elephant and the Buddha are one and the same. So if you think that sounds like a stretch, here's elephant story number two. So this story takes place toward the middle of Shakyamuni Buddha's life in the 10th year after his awakening. The Buddha is staying at a monastery when two groups of monks get into an argument. At first, they start arguing about bathroom etiquette. Before long, they're arguing about monastic discipline in general. They argue day and night. The Buddha encourages the two sides to reconcile, but they refuse to listen. The Buddha reprimands them harshly, but nothing works. The monks just keep fighting. The Buddha finally thinks to himself, I am living miserably among this crowd, and these monks do not heed my words. What if I were to live alone, secluded from the crowd? So the Buddha leaves the monastery without telling the monks and retreats to the forest. Once he's in the forest, he thinks, before, when I was crowded around by these monks who cause quarrels, fights, arguments, disputes, and legal cases within the Sangha, I did not live at ease. But now, being alone and without anyone else, I live comfortably and at ease. So here's where the elephant comes in. It turns out that the elephant has a backstory that sounds a lot like the Buddha's. So here's what the story tells us about the elephant. Now, at that time, a certain great elephant had been dwelling, crowded around by male elephants, female elephants, young elephants, and elephant cubs. He was forced to eat blades of grass whose tips had already been destroyed by them. Well, they took and ate the branches that he had broken off for himself. <laughs> he had to drink water that had already been muddied by them. Then it occurred to that great elephant, suppose I were to live alone, secluded from the crowd. 
So the elephant retreats into the forest where he encounters the Buddha and begins to serve him. And just like the Buddha, the elephant thinks, formerly being crowded around by male elephants, female elephants, young elephants, and elephant cubs, I did not live at ease. But now I live comfortably and at ease. So the Buddha and the elephant live together in the forest for the entire three-month rainy season. The Buddha finally rejoins the monks. The monks reconcile their differences and peace is restored. So clearly this story is drawing a parallel between the Buddha and the elephant. And one of the commentaries on this story, the Vinaya commentary, says that the Buddha and the elephant in this story are not just similar, they're the same. The commentary says, because this great elephant delights in being alone and secluded in the forest, just like the Buddha elephant does, the mind of one elephant agrees with the mind of the other elephant. The meaning is that their minds are one and the same. So that last sentence, it's like the Cliff Notes version of the story. It tells you the meaning, the meaning here is that the mind of the Buddha and the mind of the elephant are one and the same. So moving on, elephant story number three. And the elephant in this one seems to symbolize something very, very different. So this story takes place later in the Buddha's life, and it involves the Buddha's cousin, Devadatta. Devadatta arises one day in the assembly of monks and suggests that now the Buddha is quite old. So perhaps he should retire and turn the leadership of the Sangha over to someone else, maybe someone like Devadatta. <laughs> the Buddha very emphatically rejects this proposal. <clears throat> Devadatta becomes consumed by jealousy and he formulates a plan to assassinate the Buddha and take his place. In the first assassination attempt, Devadatta dispatches a series of men to go kill the Buddha. But when they approach the Buddha, they're overcome by the Buddha's grace and they become his followers instead. <laughs> so Devadatta decides he's going to have to get creative here. In the second assassination attempt, Devadatta climbs to the top of Vulture Peak and hurls a great stone down toward the Buddha. But that plot is foiled as well when two lower mountain peaks magically come together to intercept the stone. <laughs> so Devadatta comes up with a third scheme. In his third assassination attempt, Devadatta bribes some elephant handlers to take their fiercest elephant, get him drunk, and attack the Buddha. So this elephant is notorious. Every time they let him out of his stall, a bunch of people get injured. So the elephant's handlers get this mean elephant drunk. And as he rushes toward the Buddha, he destroys the buildings in his path. He kills the people and animals who get in his way. The story says the elephant's entire body was dyed with blood. His eyes were permeated by an inner blaze and he devoured the remains of his victims like a man-eating demon. But here's what happened when he approached the Buddha. The blessed one suffused the elephant with thoughts of benevolence and the elephant lowered his trunk 
approached the Blessed One and stood before him. The Blessed One stroked the elephant's forehead and spoke to him in verse. Then the elephant shrank away, moving backward for as long as he could see the Blessed One. Then the elephant went to the elephant stables and stood in his own stall. So this story seemed different from the first two. Instead of drawing a parallel between the Buddha and the elephant, it's about how the Buddha transforms an elephant. So I have one last elephant story, and it also involves a Buddha working with an elephant, but kind of in a different way. The story comes from the Lotus Sutra, and here's how it starts. At one time, the Buddha was staying in the kingdom of Vaisali in the multi-storied assembly hall of the great forest monastery. He said to all the monks, after three months, surely I will enter complete nirvana. So this is very near the end of the Buddha's life. When the Buddha announces that his time in the earthly realm is coming to an end, three great leaders stand to address him. Ananda, Mahakashapa, and Maitreya. The three great leaders spoke to the Buddha in one voice, world-honored one. After the extinction of the Tathagata, that's the Buddha, how can living beings aspire to be bodhisattvas? They asked, where should we turn for guidance after the Buddha enters nirvana? The Buddha tells them they should look for the excellent and wonderful form of the Buddha in a being called the universal sage bodhisattva. And he goes on to tell them how the universal sage bodhisattva will appear. He tells them that when the universal sage appears, they'll know it because he will be riding, you guessed it, <laughs> an elephant and not just any elephant. The Buddha says, the elephant has six tusks and is supported by seven legs. The elephant is as white as snow. The body of the elephant is 450 leagues long and 400 leagues tall. So maybe some of you know that elephants are the largest land animal on earth, um, but this elephant is especially large. So if my math is right, this elephant is 1,550 miles long and 1,380 miles tall. And this elephant also has some other characteristics that make him hard to miss. For one thing, on the elephant's trunk is a flower. And on that flower is a transformed Buddha. So the Buddha tells his followers, from between the eyebrows of the transformed Buddha comes a golden light, which goes into the elephant's trunk, comes out of the elephant's trunk, and enters its eyes. Then it shines from the elephant's eyes and enters its ears. It then comes out of the elephant's ears, illuminates the top of its head, and changes into a golden platform. At that point, an attendant who's standing on the platform points to the elephant, and the elephant immediately takes a few steps. It says, the elephant does not step on the ground, but hovers in the air seven feet above the earth. Yet, it leaves its footprints on the ground. The footprints have in them a Dharma wheel, 
In each Dharma wheel is a great lotus flower on which there is a transformed elephant. These elephants also have seven legs and walk behind the great elephant. Every time one of these elephants raises and brings down a foot, 7,000 elephants appear, all following behind the great elephant. So I'm gonna pause and do a quick recap here. <laughs> so a Buddha emits a light. It passes through the elephant's trunk, its eyes and its ears, and it eventually leads to the appearance of thousands of more elephants. Then the story continues with a Buddha emitting a light for the second time. This golden light, as before, enters the elephant's trunk, comes out of the elephant's trunk and enters its eyes. Then it shines from the elephant's eyes and enters its ears. It then comes out of the elephant's ears and reaches the top of its head. Gradually going up the elephant's back, the light is transformed into a golden saddle adorned with the seven precious materials and decorated with sets of jewels, making a jeweled pedestal. The bodhisattva named Universal Sage sits there cross-legged. So the first time the light is emitted, emitted from the Buddha, it passes through the elephant, thousands more elephants appear. The second time the light passes through the elephant, and the universal sage Bodhisattva appears. Then the light shines for a third and final time. Universal sage Bodhisattva will immediately send forth a ray of light from the tuft of white hair between his eyebrows, which is the sign of a great man. I love that part. <laughs> then in each of the directions, one will find a Bodhisattva mounted on a six tusked white king elephant. In this way, by his divine powers, universal sage Bodhisattva will enable all those who embrace the sutras to see transformed elephants filling the innumerable and unlimited worlds in every direction. So we've got unlimited worlds, unlimited Bodhisattvas, and unlimited elephants. So it's a lot. It's a lot to look at. Um, but one thing that struck me about the story is that the Buddhas and the elephants are almost literally intertwined. The light is sort of like a thread that starts with the Buddha, weaves in and out of the elephant's trunk, eyes, and ears. And so each time the Buddha emits a light, he's working together with the elephant to make something amazing and transformative happen. So those are my four elephant stories. Um, so I tried to research why the early Buddhists put elephants at the center of these stories instead of some other animal. And I couldn't really find a definitive answer. So this is a little bit of a guess, but I ran this past Galen and <laughs> she thought it seemed plausible. So here goes. I think the early Buddhists might have been inspired to create these sort of fantastical stories about elephants because Shakyamuni Buddha gave an important and very practical teaching about elephants. So the Buddha used the elephant as a symbol of the human mind. Here's what he told his followers. 
Excellent are trained noble tusked elephants, but far better is he who has trained himself. Formerly, this mind went wandering where it liked, as it wished. Today, with attentiveness, I shall completely hold it in check as an elephant trainer holds an elephant in check. The Buddha observed that just like an untrained elephant wallows in the mud, the untrained mind tends to get caught up in the pursuit of pleasure. He instructed his followers, draw yourselves out of the evil way, as did the elephant stuck in the mire. The Buddha also observed that just like an untrained elephant suffers greatly whenever it experiences physical pain, so does the untrained mind. The Buddha told his followers, as a trained elephant in the battlefield withstands arrows shot from bows all around, even so shall I endure abuse. Best among men is the subdued one who endures abuse. So this is the Buddha's teaching that we don't have to be dominated by our cravings and our fears. Just as an elephant can be trained, so can our human minds. We train our minds through our practice. Over and over again, we practice our forms and ceremonies. We bring our attention back to our breath. We return to the 16 Bodhisattva precepts following the path of the Buddhas. So in Queen Maya's dream in the first story, and when the Buddha retreats to the forest in the second story, the Buddha is an elephant. He is the original self-taught trained elephant who has attained enlightenment and permanently tamed his own mind. In the third story, when the Buddha tames the intoxicated elephant, he takes on the role of a master elephant trainer who trains the minds of his followers. And when the light from the Buddha's mind becomes intertwined with the minds of his followers, the miracle of enlightenment occurs. So if I were to sum it all up, I would say the Buddha has elephant mind <laughs> and through our practice, we can have elephant mind. Thank you.